Welcome to another episode of the Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders on Washington, Wall Street, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is the 26th day of January 2023. We are one twelfth of the way through 2023. How time flies when you're having fun. Stocks are up, and the old saying says, so goes January, as goes January, so goes the year. There's also a lot of other indicators that uh, the first week of January can also define the year. Uh, whoever wins the Super Bowl, there are folks who follow that stat. So pick your stat and hope. Last year, uh, January, predicted a pretty good year, as did the first week of January last year. Not so much, folks. If you remember, harken all the way back uh, these short 26 days, those were not good numbers for 2022, with the S&P down about 19%. Bonds were down as well. It was a bad uh, year, one of the worst years ever for balanced portfolios of stocks and bonds. As I look here at the end of January, I'm going to, for this forecast, uh, just give you a bit of a word from Michael. Uh, message from Michael here on the forecast. Then we're going to have Dan Mahaffey. Uh, then we're going to have Mark Hamrick for segment three from Bankrate, but also a Washingtonian. Lots of things going on and lots of economic data out this morning. Let's go with the data first. Uh, GDP was reported for the fourth quarter at 2.9%. So that's a positive number. It was 3.2% for the third quarter. You may remember that the first quarter and second quarter showed contractionary numbers, negative numbers. And a lot of folks were saying, geez, if we've had two negative quarters in a row, isn't that definition of a recession? Well, it's part of the definition of a recession. It's not the whole definition of a recession. And the NBER, uh, it did not declare a recession. When you look at unemployment, at three and a half percent, which has been a number that was falling throughout 2022. Very difficult to say you're in recession if everybody's got a job uh, and there are a lot more people who want to hire people than there are people out there looking for jobs. So a very tight labor market kept inflation high. We know what the Fed was doing. Jobless claims were light here uh, at 186,000. The the, the Fed looks at this number. They don't look at CPI as closely as they look at this number called PCE, the personal consumption uh, expenditure number, personal consumption expenditures. And uh, basically, it, we saw something a little bit weird that we're not used to seeing. You know how they look at CPI and they'll say, well, the CPI number was 5%, but the core number was only 4%, excluding food and energy. That's actually reversed now, and we're just seeing it in this PCE number. So the PCE core core was 3.9. Uh, if you want to include food and energy, it was only up 3.2. Because food and energy, and particularly energy, not so much food, dropped in the fourth quarter and again in the third quarter, and we saw those energy prices come down and a lot of commodity prices come down, the actual core number was higher than the one that would have been influenced by uh, food and, and energy. So uh, the economic data were positive for 2022. GDP growth was positive. 
it's continuing. The data are continuing to be positive here as we're getting reports in 2023. All right. The savings rate, okay? The savings rate was down to 2.4% in the month of November. That came in at 2.4%. That's one of the lowest ever. And that's versus, are you ready for this? 33.8% savings rate in April of 2020. Now that was right after the pandemic shutdown. People were still getting their checks. Nobody was leaving the house. You couldn't go to the movie theater. You couldn't go to a restaurant. You remember all that fun stuff? There were actual curfew orders in many cities around the country uh, and 33.8%. Uh, well, that money's been spent. And the consumer's increase in wages has not kept up with the increase in these prices the consumer has to pay. So the consumer basically is losing purchasing power here and in an economy as such as the United States, where the economic growth and expansion depends two thirds, 67, 68% on the consumer. If the consumer can't keep up, how do you continue to have an expansion? Well, I think you don't. And you're seeing the expansion contract, which I believe is the beginning of recession. There are a world of people who get angry at me when I say this. Stop that. Don't you dare say anything negative. Don't you dare say anything negative on television. Why are you so grumpy? I'm not grumpy. I'm a pretty happy guy. I really am. You Come spend some time with me. I'm a happy guy. But as I've mentioned on the forecast before, when I see clouds, I'm going to tell you it's cloudy. I am not going to look at a dark, cloudy sky, listen to thunder, and tell you that it's sunny outside. That's that. That's not what I'm going to do. And we have a world now, folks, where the social agenda seems to be driving the conclusions of what are supposed to be, you know, somewhat dispassionate, uh, disciplined thought processes. Right? We try to figure things out and come to a conclusion, and yet people have their agendas and they want the conclusion they want as opposed to the conclusion that might just be uh, derived from the data on their own. Wonderful book, and I'm going to commend this to you. I've mentioned it on the forecast before. When Wish Replaces Thought by Stephen Goldberg. And I'm going to re read you just a brief, just brief. This rigorous analysis of current social issues exposes the way in which public debate has been confused by moral and political dogma. Analysis of current social issues exposes the way the public debate has been confused by moral and political dogma. Among educated people, there's a constellation of accepted truths about the world. Often only superficially plausible, they are uncontested because they reflect much of what the public wishes to believe. So in this book, Goldberg examines the scientific question of how the world does work, not the moral political question of how it should work, reminding the reader that while neither logic nor science can ever enable someone to select moral or political position, conclusions based on a faulty view of the world are always unsuccessful. How about that? Conclusions based on a faulty view of the world are always unsuccessful. Can you imagine if I managed money by what I wanted to see? What if I manage and said, I'm going to buy McDonald's stock because I want that to be the best company for my clients? Really? 
because I want it to be, because I think it should be? What if I want to buy, uh, you know, Paramount Pictures or Comcast because I like the way they broadcast, uh, or I like that Comcast, you know, owns NBC Universal, and I like NBC and what they say on NBC, and I don't like what they say on Fox, and therefore I think Comcast is a better company. That's the logic that Goldberg is describing here. And I promise you, I would not be investing in other people's money very long if I made my uh, decisions uh, that way. Uh, the, the, this is on Amazon. And I think uh, because Goldberg addresses widely held but erroneous beliefs with an energetic logic rarely found in writings on these subjects, this is a book refreshingly direct response to our politically correct times. Uh, I just I just like it. So what are we seeing? We're seeing a contraction that's being driven by a destruction in demand, destruction in demand, driven by higher interest rates engineered by the Federal Reserve to destroy demand, to destroy demand. The Federal Reserve uh, has said for a long time, we can't do anything to fix a supply chain. We're a central bank. Pat Harker, three years ago at the University of Delaware, said, what do you want me to do with monetary policy that's going to fix supply chains in China? I can't do anything about that. What I can do, however, is when those supply chains come back, I can make borrowing money expensive enough that you're not going to buy as much stuff. And indeed, that's what they've done. And indeed, that is what's happening. And we are seeing tail effects of interest rate hikes that occurred over the summer in three quarter of a point instruments that are indeed slowing that demand. That is going to continue. This consumer now that has 2.4% on their savings rate is also running up credit card bills through the roof and they don't have extra money to spend on anything because their wages aren't keeping up. The economy's driven by the consumer. The consumer's out of money. Far says, we're going to go into recession. I'm going to give you another piece of anecdotal information that I find hugely important. When you do what I do, you go out and talk to a lot of people. I My, my whole stock and trade, ladies and gentlemen, is relationships. I had dinner last night with a real estate mogul. Uh, this family, it's, it's, it's not one of the biggest in the country, but they're good size. They control the family has about two and a half million square feet of commercial real estate. They have uh, class A office buildings in Washington, D.C. They have some terrific new leases signed requiring big build outs for some of these class A office buildings. They have never not made a payment on any penny of debt that they have. And they need $25 million to complete a build out in these class A office buildings in order for signed leases to meet the requirements of the signed lease. And he tells me they cannot borrow any money. They cannot find a lender anywhere. Their traditional lenders, there's one large insurance company, has said no. Uh, they, not at any price. They're actually throwing them a price right now of 11%. 11%. He said, these large real estate portfolios, Michael, are upside down. The insurance companies, they're upside down. The value of the equity in the loan to value, which is something all commercial real estate people look at, loan to value has gone upside down. The loans are larger than the value of the property now. 
and therefore they're not loaning any more money at any price, even to their best customers. And he looked at me and said, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. He said, and every other person in my position is experiencing the same thing. So I believe quietly, and you're not hearing this anywhere else except for the forecast, I promise yet, you will hear about it. What happens next? Those banks live in denial and hope that things are going to get better. And so do the insurance companies. This will get better. This will get better. Please, God, let it get better. And then all of a sudden, the day comes when it doesn't get better, and they add to loan loss reserves. They add to those loan loss reserves, and uh, they, that goes against earnings, and the contraction continues just when everybody is getting mad at FAR for saying, I think we're going to go into recession. Recession is not the end of the world. All economies expand and all economies contract. The Federal Reserve has tried to save us from every bit of contraction we may ever experience in our lives. Never want to suffer, have us suffer a moment pain. They're going to save us from the normal economic cycle. Ladies and gentlemen, not this time they're not. And in fact, they may have gone too far, but I believe Pat Harker, when he tells me we've got three more rate increases and they're going to stop at around five and a quarter. I listened to him. I looked him in the eye. He meant it. I believed him. And I think that this recession does come. And I think stock prices will go down because earnings will contract. And then that will stop. And remember my Home Depot aisle seven conversation where a year or two from now, two years from now, the recession's over. The Fed is back on the sidelines if they're not easing policy and the economy's back in expansion mode again. Uh, I'm always optimistic long term. What I want to say is that at no point to me as an investor or a business person, uh, actually just as a human being, have I ever been persuaded by wish being a decent replacement for thought? I hope you won't either. Think about that long term, the three uh, uh, characteristics of successful people um, that I'm just reading that I believe in uh, are uh, Optimism, optimism, uh, hard work, hard work, uh, and and truly a belief that tomorrow will be better, and a high EQ. Those three things, high EQ, uh, hard work, and optimism will make you successful over time. I am optimistic. I do work hard. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and and I uh, think that I like to uh, that I'm good at uh, knowing people and understanding how they see the world. I need to see how they see the world, and I want to see if they're looking at a factual world or a world based on their wishes, because then I can decide whether I want to invest or not invest. I hope this has helped. Uh, we're going to continue to study Wall Street, Washington, and the world here on the Farcast and try and bring you insights and a way to think about things that'll help. So uh, I understand all the wish that's out there that things were better. I just don't see the facts, and I'm only going to tell you about the facts that I see. I'm also going to call Dan Mahaffey in and ask him about the facts that he sees in Washington and around the world, because I learn every time I talk to him. And I find, folks, now on season six of the Farcast, this is not a guy who leads with wish, and that's why we like him. And neither is Mark Hamrick, and he's coming up in our third segment today. So that's it for uh, Michael's musings, thoughts from far. We'll be right back with Dan Mahaffey. Please stay with us.
We hope you're enjoying this week's edition of the Farcast. Please share us with friends and colleagues. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining me now, as promised, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on the Farcast now in season six. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks, Michael. Good morning. I loved that screenshot you sent me, Dan. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan sent me this morning, apropos of uh, when wish replaces thought, New York Times headline, uh, right next to the Wall Street Journal headline about the GDP number. New York Times says, U.S. economy grew at 2.9% in the fourth quarter, a solid pace that reflected the resilience of the consumer and businesses. Wall Street Journal, same thing, right next to it, breaking news. U.S. economic growth cooled slightly to 2.9% annual rate in the fourth quarter, capping a year of high inflation and rising interest rates. You want to hear like Wagner playing in the background, don't you? When you when you read the Wall Street Journal's there's a there's a, you know, kind of a slow dirge. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, All right. Uh, Dan, lots going on. Uh, let's talk about these papers. We're finding papers at Pence's house. I mean, part of me sitting here going, you know, if I were vice president of the United States, I'd probably take stuff home to read every night, wouldn't I? And if I left some of it in my desk drawer, I mean, I I can see this happening and I'm not choosing a side here, folks. Uh, is it a difference, though, that, um, you know, seemingly Trump had boxes and boxes and boxes of these things that seemed intentional as opposed to these other folks who were unintentional or if you're you know out there you know whether you shoot one person in the street or you shoot 20 people in the street you're still going to jail i mean what's going on here well what we saw definitely with the trump case versus what we saw with biden and now vice president pence is an immediate uh, the latter two immediately cooperated with authorities once these documents were located uh, look, the, the original fault of taking them is shared amongst all. And let's get it. We can look, is that sloppiness? Is it poor management? Uh, you know, we do have to understand, though, classified materials are not like Harry handing you uh, a list of the upcoming forecast guests and the Chinese takeout menu. Uh, you know, these things are not, uh, you know, they're kept in separate files. They're kept in certain facilities, certain rooms known as skiffs. Uh, so you you have to say, look, this is a pretty sloppy handling um, and certainly reflects poorly on the transitions of these offices that these documents got out. Um, but yes, a very different attitude of cooperation with authorities by the Biden and Pence teams once these documents were found compared to what happened with President Trump. However, though, Politically, none of that nuance is really captured in the headlines. And for most of the American people who don't follow this on a regular basis, right. it's again just a reminder that one, our our leaders aren't handling these materials the way they should. And two, people feel that there's a different standard for these folks than it would have been a, a private in the army or a, uh, a low-level uh administrator in a in a three-letter agency is this something that's going to go away now dan or is it going to hang around what what happens with this uh paper gate issue 
I think what it's done is it just kind of self-neutralizes and it's just one of those now running scandals that each side uh, will will throw at each other. Um, and what we see now is, again, that the the Republicans who want to investigate are going to continue to make a uh, make a hash out of it. But again, like those headlines on the GDP, it's just how you see it through your own lenses. Uh, George is getting ready to file some lawsuits over the election uh, will President Trump be named in any of those lawsuits? It looks like they're going to name a lot of people, but so far we haven't heard that former President Trump would be named. Look, we're hearing a lot of rumors about that. This is the one where some people have speculated that this could get the the closest to him. Really, you have the you have the tapes, my lordy. There are tapes, uh, as Comey would say, uh, where he is on the phone with Georgia officials, pressuring them, asking for votes. This is the one uh, that people have speculated could get the closest. Uh, whether though this has any impact on him, again, I don't see because I look at polls that still show that uh, Biden and Trump are the top choices of their respective parties. Okay. All right. Terrific. Um, now, Dan, uh, when we came on, uh, just before we came on air, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I always ask Dan the same thing every week. Dan, what, what would you like to talk about to make sure that we cover this week? And uh, Dan quoted the old uh, Irish, uh, Irish saying, thanks for nothing. Thanks for nothing. Uh, which actually I loved it. Don't you ladies and gentlemen, thanks for nothing. Uh, Ukraine's getting tanks for nothing from everywhere. Uh, and it may be that they need him. Tell us, Dan, what's happening, where this coalition has come from and what's the significance of these tanks. Uh, Vladimir Putin's not happy this morning and he was launching missiles just to let everybody know he was not happy. Certainly. Sure. And look, we are sending equipment that look, these are the big tanks. You know, these are not uh, personnel carriers. These are not armored cars. These are the big tanks, big guns, tracks. And to get into the technical parts of this, really, look, you're having the Americans we've announced we'll be sending the M1A1 uh, Abrams tank. Uh, that will probably be coming in later that later in the year. But most importantly, even if we sent a small number of those Abrams, and look, the Abrams is a heavy tank. It uses a lot of fuel. It's powered by a gosh darn jet engine. So this is not something that is 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 lightly deployed. But what our gift did was give the Germans the diplomatic fig leaf that they could then unlock this pool of the Leopard 2, uh, a similar size tank, though lighter, similarly gunned. But most importantly, it's diesel fueled. So it's a lot easier to find and support the the, the logistics for this. And the countries in Europe have about 2000 of these on hand. So there's plenty of parts and sustainment for the Ukrainians to use from these. So this gives the Ukrainians a heavy weapons and a modern heavy weapon platform that they have not had that will be very important for either retaking territory or pushing back against new Russian assaults that may come in the spring. Yep. Is how quickly can we get them trained and equipped? One of, one of my favorite subplots in all of the cops and robbers movies is uh, when the hero is counting the ammo, right, of the villain. When they say, okay, there's there's the six shots. I wonder, does he have eight? You know, it's the old Clint, Clint Eastwood. Have I fired five or six? Do you feel lucky, punk? Um, 
when 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 do we reach that moment with Vladimir Putin? I mean, so he's unleashed a, a whole unleashed a whole new round of missiles. How many missiles this guy got left? I mean, we know that we've got limited resources in terms of our missile battery and our weaponry. Uh, he Russia's not nowhere near as well off in terms of weaponry as the U.S. Uh, certainly, and everybody's sending all this stuff to Ukraine. If Ukraine's not going to run out of bullets, Putin will, won't he? Well. Maybe not as easily because one, he's not caring about the the accuracy or quality when you're sending uh, 300,000 mobilized conscripts uh, and you're not really caring about accuracy when you're just lobbing cruise missiles that don't have guidance systems. And that's why, you know, they they hit schools and civilian facilities rather than their 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 actual targets. Um but look, he's also resupplying from Iran. You know, they're going, they're they're finding ways to cheaply resupply. And the 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 calculus of not just counting bullets, but it comes down to us. It's how long do we use three million dollar Raytheon missiles to shoot down a twenty thousand dollar Iranian drone? And yep. what are the other what are the other systems? What are the other tools that can go in place so that this is either uh, a more sustainable? But also, how do we understand, and, and and this is something I think it's it's inside baseball, but the Army is actually going to be announcing a lot of its major weapons orders in the coming weeks, uh, billions of dollars in restocking from uh, various defense companies. So those announcements are coming down the pike, uh, but we're going to really have to see. This is a race between our uh, production and, and resupply capabilities versus the Russians trying to do it cheaply. In the 1980s, Ronald Reagan is uh, credited with two things, uh, I guess blamed for sending the U.S. into recession because of his abundant spending on weaponry with which the Soviet Union felt they had to keep up, and it basically broke the back of the Soviet Union economically. At what point uh, has this increased weaponry from NATO in support of Ukraine? Uh, when when does when does uh, uh, Russia you know scream uncle? When does <laughs> when does this win? I mean, are we months away from them not being able to uh, launch a counteroffensive? Or what happens when these tanks start going into Russia uh, to take maybe more land and and reestablish a border even further back? I think we don't want these to escalate in a way where these strikes are happening into Russian territory. I imagine that's still a limitation we've put on the Ukrainians on using this. Uh, that said, though, the Russians will say they can outsuffer anyone. They're willing to go old school, uh, you know, cheap, old tactics. Human wave is what we've seen in some of these towns where the uh, the mercenary uh, mercenaries recruited from the prisons are being used. Uh, there's almost this kind of World War One mentality they're still going back to that they can uh, outman and outweight us. Um, and and partially too that the even though we talk about the sanctions, the, they still get some of the oil money. They still have some of those reserves. Uh, they they think they can still go on for quite a bit longer. All right, Dan, we are almost truly out of time here. I have one minute. Uh, you said that a good Republican candidate earlier to me privately might just want to sit this next election out. Give us your one minute on that, and then I've got to go, please. My one minute, and maybe this preview is a longer conversation we have. Uh, if I were in this cycle, I would sit pat because, look, if Trump runs and he wins, he can still only serve one term. 
Uh, an ideal place to be would be uh, perhaps considered for vice president and uh, and on the campaign trail. Uh, but sit this cycle out if you're young because you still have 2028. You think the best plan then is to suck up to Donald Trump to make sure you can get put in as the vice president and give yourself a shot later? Well, that's, this is threading the needle. The I, I, this is the threading needle, I would say, is I don't want to be on the ticket because I would not want to be saddled with a potential loss, but I want to be the person who is considered uh, second or third for that post. You think that Trump wins this next election? He becomes the nominee, and you right now think that Trump is going to be our guy again in 2024? I think he still has the best. States. He is the best shot among the Republicans right now. I still see no clear polling coalescing around anyone else. Uh, and again, it would be a Biden rematch for right now. So uh, right now, a Biden-Trump rematch pulls like a coin toss. Oh, boy, Dan, you know, for all of our uh, Democratic uh, listeners and all of our moderate and left-leaning Republican listeners, you just help bartenders across the country, uh, Dan Mahaffey. Uh, you ruined ruined their weekends as they listen to the forecast. Uh, but um, I know you're calling it yeah. the way you see it, ladies and gentlemen. He's calling it the way he sees it. We will sorry, get folks. Four more days in dry January. Yeah, <laughs> you might have put an end to dry January right there. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, a senior political analyst on the forecast. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Michael. Take we'll care. Be back, ladies and gentlemen, with our great friend, Mark Hamrick from Bankrate. He was with AP. He is the voice, I think, of the economy in the United States. He was president of the National Press Club, so he actually was the voice. When we come back on the forecast, please stay with us. Michael Farr and the forecast are proud to support Heroes, Inc., Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We appreciate you listening into the podcast this week. And now to introduce this week's special guest, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining me now, my great friend, Mark Hamrick from bankrate.com. He is the senior guy, the economist, the commentator. He was with the Associated Press. I already told you, he was president of the National Press Club. This is the guy. We've been friends for 30 years. Welcome back, Mark. Always great to be with you, Michael. Thank you for those very kind words. It's always a pleasure. We're glad to have you here, and our listeners always learn so much. You know, one of the things I'd mentioned uh, in the past here, folks, and commended to you was this new app called ChatGPT. It's an artificial intelligence program. You ask it a question, and it will write a unique essay every time. If you haven't done it, folks, go do it. But Mark Hamrick did something wonderful. He 
went on to chat GPT and said, write a haiku about Mark Hamrick. A haiku is a little short poem. Uh, and here it is, folks. Mark Hamrick, bank rate, economic insight, sharp and great advice for all to take. And that's why he's here. <laughs> he knows it. Artificial intelligence knows it. And the forecast listeners certainly know it. Advice for all to take. Mark, we're taking your advice. What did you make of this GDP number this morning? Obviously, Michael, and uh, yeah, we might want to say uh, artificial intelligence isn't all it's cracked up to be, but we'll leave that conversation for another day. But don't you think that thing's amazing? I it mean, is. It is absolutely stunned. amazing. Absolutely. And, and we know that artificial intelligence is presenting itself in all kinds of ways. And maybe for another show, one day we could talk about how there's always going to be fear about uh, burgeoning and innovative technology and and uh, job disruption. And, and we have had some of that in our country over uh, our history, as well as more recently. And yet here, as we speak, the job market uh, remains robust. And and uh, in terms of GDP this morning, you know, coming in in the fourth quarter, uh, just slightly uh, better than expected, an annualized increase of 2.9%. But it's important to remind people that this is a quarterly look, obviously three months. And we know that retail sales were essentially, uh, you know, very, very weak in the final two months of the year, which, by the way, is what the retail trade regards as a holiday shopping season. We had a retrenchment in industrial production in, in December. And so, um, you know, reminding people that we had contractions in GDP in the first two quarters of last year, but yet a pretty good showing for both the third and fourth quarter. So you could say that the U.S. economy staged a second half comeback, but 2023 is a whole new ball game, and just because you won the last contest doesn't mean you're going to win the next one. I think the trend lines are showing uh, that we are seeing uh, a couple of things. It's becoming clear to me anyway that inflation and demand are both coming off the hot burner kind of together and in fairly rapid fashion. Okay, so uh, demand will be slowing that inflation, and it's largely based on this consumer capacity to spend. I've written my newsletter this week, uh, Mark, uh, called Betting on the Consumer. Uh, it's going to come out. This is free, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you can subscribe, hjennings at farmiller.com, hjennings at farmiller.com, and he'll put you on the list and you'll get this. But this is a this is my piece this week, and I've, I've talked about what Jamie Dimon says and what the rest of the world says, and I talk about you know, CPI. Uh, I talk about the savings rate, which is now down uh, at 2.4%. You know, it was 33.8% in April of 2020, Mark. I mean, yeah, the yeah. consumer's running out of money. What am I, what am I missing? And then if, what do you think about the, the, the uh, an upcoming recession? What's your call on it? You've watched this a long time, Mark. We've been yeah. through this together. We have, Michael. Well, you know, to Jamie Dimon's point, uh, I think his point is, is that uh, predictions are probably uh, very often off the mark, uh, but that, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to anticipate a range of uh, possibilities. And obviously, that's what he does as a business leader. That's what we do in terms of trying to analyze the outlook. And I think, first of all, Michael, you know, looking at what has happened during the pandemic and 
essentially uh, the year since it first began, obviously in early 2020, at least in the United States. So many remarkable things have happened over that period of time. You know, we had the unemployment rate uh, fall back to the most recent 3.5%. Uh, as we speak this morning, new jobless claims are back down to the lowest level since April of 2022, uh, despite all the job cut announcements and actual layoffs. So, you know, in some ways, uh, the economy is more of a puzzle uh, than ever before. Uh, but I think I think for for listeners out there who are trying to make some sense out of what could happen, I think first of all, um, I think it's a, a decent prediction to make right now that the next recession, whether it's already begun uh, or is still in the offing, need not be nearly as severe as the previous two, where in October of 2008, the unemployment rate rose to 10% after the great financial crisis. That didn't feel like the unemployment rate was as high as the actual uh, economic damage that was caused uh, from all of that. And then 14.7% in April of 2020, when we lost 22 million jobs in March and April of that right. year. So I don't think the next recession needs to be quite as severe, but here's the one wild card, Michael, and I think you and I are mindful of these kinds of risks. What happens if something breaks, that proverbial black yeah. swan that we may yeah. not be seeing right now? And, and that's the thing by its very definition is impossible to predict, right? So, you know, baseline is probably, you know, either we avoid a recession or we have a very, um, uh, let's say, recession light uh, but something can always break in the system. There could be a geopolitical event of some kind. There's plenty of saber rattling around the world these days. Uh, th that's the best guess I could come up with right now. I don't know if you saw this, Mark. Uh, I'm sure you did yesterday, uh, where there were these huge uh, mistakes, right? Errors on the quota quotations, price quotes on big, huge stocks in the New York Stock Exchange across any number of companies that were up or down, and I mean 20 and 30%, and they were wild, and they stopped trading on all of those stocks. And they had one of these glitches that they described, the software glitch, a file corruption. We had these, uh, every flight in the country stopped a couple of weeks ago over one of these file corruptions. Every flight on January 3rd in the state of Florida was stopped because of file corruption. And by the way, when our flight stopped later that day, so did flights in Canada because of a file corruption. These things, I'm sorry, I'm, maybe, maybe this is just a bunch of very eerie coincidences, but I'm involved with Heroes Inc., as you know, and I get to talk to a lot of law enforcement officers. And the one thing every one of them tell you, tells you is, I don't believe in coincidences, Mr. Farr. I've learned over the years there really aren't any. So I get concerned about those things, but when I hear you talk about that black swan event, I keep thinking, are, are we seeing the signs? Are these early volleys? Are these tests of our system and our computer infrastructure? Because those are vulnerable areas. We know that they are. Um, maybe it, it's that could certainly be one of the areas. I don't mean to be a conspiracist, but but I you, you, I don't mean to be blind either, right? I mean, how do you yeah. how do you process those sorts of things? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, as you know, Michael, I attend uh, Federal Reserve news conferences and, and haven't missed too many since they began in, in 2011. Now, that's where the chair of the 
central bank uh, meets with reporters and tries to explain things and relevant to your point. Uh, I remember a meeting not that long ago where somebody asked him, um, Chairman Powell, what keeps him up at night? And one of the answers was cyber, meaning, you know, if, if there yeah. is some sort of breakdown in that realm uh, that is calamitous, uh, the, the, you know, the, a, rating, a rate cut doesn't help that. Uh, and, you know, I've heard other uh, people uh, who are actually experts in in military conflict say that perhaps the next biggest war isn't fought on the battlefield it's fought in space it's fought in air and it's fought in cyber uh and uh that sounds pretty horrific to me so i think that while we don't want to necessarily as you say uh you know find a communist under every bed to use an old analogy uh, uh you know in sense of conspiracies um, we also know that we're not always told everything that's actually going on, uh, and some facts that can be damaging uh, are withheld from the public. That's why journalism is so important. And we'll see whether something uh, emerges in the coming days and weeks, whether there's more uh, than meets the eye on some of these things. I started today talking about this notion of when wish replaces thought. When you have a narrative that you like, and then you cherry pick the facts out there to support your particular narrative. Um, uh, I, I, I prefer a more Aristotelian approach where you say, let's just ask the questions and see where the answers lead us. Uh, it, so uh, as, as I'm looking at futures uh, this morning uh, and I'm seeing the markets uh, the Dow now has turned negative. NASDAQ and S&P are positive. But basically, uh, there was a positive reaction from stocks to today's economic data that are indeed rear view looking. And I'm sitting here thinking um, they're, they're not looking at the trends. They're not looking where this train is going. They're looking where it's been. And we want everybody's just desperate for some sort of rosy, happier narrative um, and, and I think there is a long-term happy narrative. I'm always optimistic, and I think we will get through what is ahead of us, and I think we will come out higher and happier in the future. I just don't see a higher, happier road in the near term. Do you think I'm wrong? Am I being a gloomy Gus or an Eeyore that's or inappropriate Eeyore? I, I, I don't want to be inappropriate. Challenge me. Tell me I'm wrong about this stuff. Well, uh, I guess the question is, what's the fundamental case upon which you'd invest in this environment uh, that, that would all of a sudden uh, lead to a, a rosier view? And, and the data this morning, aside from the fact that you had a slighter, uh, slightly better than expected read on GDP and jobless claims coming in remarkably low, I guess, I guess what you uh, can distill from that is that recently the economy has remained more uh, resilient. But what has been the primary challenge for the stock market over the last year or so? It, that's the old don't fight the Fed routine, right? And so yes. between high inflation and the yes. Fed pounding the table, I'm not gonna pound the table uh, to uh, you know alarm our listeners here. The Fed is pounding the table saying rates go higher for longer. And so is that the environment where you say, you know, go to the bank, take the money out and put it all on a gross stock? Mm, I don't know about that. Probably not. Now, what you will see though, somewhere in this cycle is people sell stocks and things get cheaper than probably the future will warrant as well. So where they might be higher than the future warrants at this moment, they will get to a point before the cycle's over where people overreact the same way 
And that's when there's an opportunity. So I think there are opportunities out there. I just don't think that perhaps they're today. How about some advice for Fred and Ethel, and then we've got to go, Mark. Well, uh, Michael, we just uh, published a survey at Bankrate uh, finding that, uh, you know, if I were doing Netflix documentary about the American economy, whether it's reflective of American households or the approach that our elected officials take in Washington, I think it would be titled Paycheck to Paycheck. Uh, And our survey finds that 57% of Americans are unable to pay an emergency expense of $1,000 or more from savings. 43% can use savings or would use that savings. Here's the shocker, Michael. Highest since we've asked the question over these past nine years, 25% say they would pay for that emergency expense on a credit card and pay it off over time at a time when credit card interest rates, by our measure of bank rate, are the highest on record for new offers for well-qualified individuals. That's about 20% right now. So, you know, payday loans. And averages (laughs) are moving up to 24% right now on the average rates. Is that correct? Uh, that's what I've seen. Yes. And so yes. we're really talking about new offers for for basically, you know, the best qualified individuals right now. That's the best case scenario. And and, you, and there, are, there are higher rates being paid across the spectrum out there. So we need to save for emergencies. We need to save for retirement to your investing question there, Michael. And, and uh, you know, I think that ultimately, you know, there are those who might be uh, adept enough to do some market timing, and and you're the expert on when it's time to fine tune a portfolio. But you, I think you have to ultimately stay invested to some degree, and you absolutely have to prioritize saving for emergencies. Long term investing endures periods like these, and they so that you can enjoy periods of expansion. But you have to stay patient and disciplined. Mark Hamrick, bank rate. Economic insight, sharp and great advice <laughs> for all to take. I, I'm telling you, Hamrick, you don't need anything else. And we don't any we don't need anything else other than Hamrick. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. It's great to be with you. Great to be with you, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for another forecast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. We will be back next week and do our best to provide information that helps clarify, add to your thinking, and help your investing process. In Washington, D.C., for the forecast, for me, for Harry Jennings, and everybody else, we thank you so much. Please share us on your social media. I'm Michael Farr. I'll see you next week. That's a wrap for this episode of the forecast, January 26th, 2023. Join us each week as we continue Season 6 with more of the guests that you want to hear from. Next week, Jim Urio is scheduled to be with us to talk markets. Dan Mahaffey will be back with the latest analysis from D.C., For the day after the Fed meeting, Michael will speak to Dr. Jay Bryson, Chief Economist for Wells Fargo. A big thank you to this week's guests, Dan Mahaffey and Mark Hamrick. The forecast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast apps. Love hearing from you every week, and you can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farm Miller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent 
the specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And we can be of assistance at Bar Miller in Washington. Please reach out to me at hjennings at barmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Far Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, Member FINRA, and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Far Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or from statements or errors or omissions or results obtained for the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Far Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor or related questions.